One night last week, I was just sitting there kind of scrolling through websites and the news as the kids were in bed and Amy was doing something else. And as I was scrolling through all the different sites that I like to to find news on and get other information from, I, I found myself suddenly almost overwhelmed. And it was just this sense that there was so much information. I mean, I'd read so many articles and looked up so many different facts and figures about different things that I found myself just blown away by the sheer amount of information that was out there. It wasn't just the news information or the facts and figures that I read, but the information that goes on behind those scenes. And, and quickly, as I was reading all this, I, I, I just was stunned. I, I didn't know what to do next. I mean, it wasn't that I was considering, do I go on Instagram or do I watch something on Netflix? But like, what, what do I do with all this information? Like, how do, how do I process it all? As I considered everything that I had just watched and read, I was amazed by the fact that there were so many different things going on in my head and my heart. There were things that made me laugh. There were things that made me profoundly sad. There were things that caused me to sort of stop and and consider sort of bigger questions. And then there were some things that I just blew on by because they were just there for entertainment. But as I sat there, I just couldn't help get over this feeling that I was almost paralyzed by all the information that there was. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever gone through a period where there was just so much news or information coming at you that you weren't sure what to do next? Well, you're not alone. In fact, there's been quite a number of research over the last couple of decades which has affirmed this fact that we can actually become immobilized and become passive people due to the sheer volume of information going on in the world. And so I I decided to look up a little bit about this because, of course, for some reason, ironically, I needed some more information. But I found it fascinating to, to learn about the rate that information is changing. In fact, one of the crazy statistics I came across was the fact that in 2020, when this one piece of research was done, they discovered that human knowledge doubles every 12 to 13 hours. That means the total of everything that humans have in their understanding go, uh, comes into groups of two every day. It's incredible. And I mean, this rate of speed of information gain has been growing throughout time. Back in uh, the early days, for instance, in Jesus' time, it would take about 1,200 years for the amount of human knowledge to double. Fast forward to the year 1900, it would take a century for the amount of human knowledge to double. Later on, mid-century, around 1960s, it was about 25 years that it would take for information to double. But now, in 2021, about every 12 hours, the amount of information that we have doubles. And this has ended up having a huge impact on the way we live. For instance, Neil Postman, who was a uh, futurist and a cultural critic, went on to talk about how there has become a disconnect between people and information. In one article, he wrote this. He wrote, The tie between information and action has been severed. 
Information is now a commodity that can be bought and sold or used as a form of entertainment. It can be worn like a garment to enhance one's status because it comes indiscriminately or directed at no one in particular. It's disconnected from usefulness. We are glutted with information, drawing in information we have no control over, and we don't know what to do with it. Another writer named Thomas Friedman writes about what he calls the age of acceleration. And that's what he's calling the, the age we're sort of living in. Some people call it the information age, but he said that wasn't quite enough to sort of determine what it is because it's not just information, but it's an accelerating pace of information. Because the more information we have, the more ability we have to gain more information and knowledge. And he said that this uh, has actually gone on to outpace the ability for humans to comprehend and adjust to the change. He created this chart in one of his uh, lectures where you see the rate of knowledge goes up super fast, but the rate of human ability to adapt to that knowledge and change kind of has a slow growth curve. And he says because of this, in his research, they found that there was a growing sense of anxiety, an increased amount of depression, and they link a lot of this back to the fact that we just can't compute everything that is being computed. It's quite this interesting fact where people say, hey, why is anxiety on the rise? He says, because there's just too much information for us to sift through, and we actually become paralyzed by it. Now, that's not to say that this information doesn't have an impact on us, but he talks about how as information goes in one ear and out the other, what actually happens is our, our heart and mind process these things, and we know about them. Uh, there's things that we read about in the news that just get us fired up, whether it's, it's for good reasons or because we're upset and angry, or, or maybe it brings us down with, and we become saddened and disheartened. In fact, we have a new term in our culture called doom scrolling, which is the fact that we get caught in this endless cycle of looking at bad news and it disheartens and discourages us. We end up with this thing that happens within us that as information comes in, it's changing what's going on in our heart and mind and soul so quickly that as it exits and new information comes in, we can't actually adapt. So what does this mean for us? Where does it lead us? How does that impact what we are doing together as a church? Because over the last few months, we as a church have been studying the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is this teaching that Jesus gave a little over 2,000 years ago on the seashore of Galilee. He was there sitting by the Sea of Galilee looking up this hillside where there were hundreds of people gathered. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, only takes about 10 to 15 minutes to read out loud. Perhaps if Jesus slowly uh, delivered some of this information, maybe it took him 20, 25 minutes to give. But while he just gave this 20 to 25 minute speech, it was full of information. As we've studied this sermon over the last number of months, we can see that there is just so much, not just information, but opportunity for transformation by engaging with the material that Jesus taught. 
In fact, I think that this is the single greatest compilation of lessons given in one speech. But as we wrestle through it, we are at risk of experiencing what Friedman talks about as he wrestles with the age of acceleration, what Neil Postman talks about as he talks about how information can become disconnected from us just because we're glutted with information. We, we, we run a risk that what ends up happening with the teachings of Jesus in our life is that it just becomes more that comes in, hits us a little bit, and then moves on out. But Jesus challenges us. He challenged his first listeners at the end of the Sermon on the Mount with a series of warnings. He said, I want you not just to hear what I have to say and move on, but I want it to actually change you. Today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 29, where we come to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. But in typical Jesus style, he doesn't waste any words. He continues to, to point straight to our hearts and address a massive issue by giving us what one writer calls the most haunting of conclusions. Jesus leaves us with words that if we don't consider them may one day come back to haunt us. After all this teaching of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, to be a citizen of what he calls the kingdom of heaven, Jesus leaves us with this warning. Let's read in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 29. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So here we have the conclusion of Jesus' teaching. He's downloaded all this information to hundreds of people and by extension to us as it's been recorded in the Bible. And, and in fact, what Matthew does, who, who recorded all that happens, is he gives us a little bit of a commentary on what happened. It says in verse 28 and 29 that the people stopped and that they were amazed. They looked to Jesus and said, wow, this guy has authority. He's able to teach on these incredible things more than any other teacher who we know about. And so those people who were gathered before him had this new teaching. But with it came this warning. This warning that they shouldn't just be amazed. That they shouldn't just acknowledge Jesus' ethical teaching. That they shouldn't just look to him as some spiritual guru who might have some insight for them to consider. 
Jesus said in his very warning that came right before that comment that this simply would not be enough. In verses 21 to 23, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles. And Jesus said that to them, he would look at them and say plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is very clear. Not everyone who would call him Lord, not everyone who would look to him as an authority would be recognized by him later. He says that there's going to be people who come and say, you know what, I did the right thing. And Jesus will challenge them by saying, but did we ever really know one another? What Jesus is getting at with the, with the heart of this passage is that the essential characteristic of someone who's going to be his follower, of someone who's going to be uh, in his kingdom of heaven, is not someone who talks about him, not someone who views him as authoritative, even though both of those things are good things. It's not just someone who's involved in ministry, good as that is. It is someone who is relation, in relationship with him. The essential characteristic of a genuine follower of Jesus is someone who knows Jesus. There will be a day that comes at the end of every one of our lives in which we will face the God of the universe. And God will look at us and hear from us and review who we are in response to him. And for those who do not know him, those who don't love him and spend time with him, he will say, you never really knew me, so go away from here. This is a tough teaching. It's a stern warning, and it's not even a warning for those who have been outside of the church, but those who have been inside of the church for a long time as well. For me as a pastor, this is a a sobering reminder of what is my spiritual life. I can resonate with those who go around and talk about who Jesus is. I I hope that one day I'll be able to say, "I, I prophesied in your name. I was involved in these miracles that were done by the power of your name, Jesus. But the truth is that there can be times where I can point people towards Jesus without spending time with him myself. There can be times where I'm involved in spiritual things without ever spending time with the Spirit. There can be times where I encourage other people to worship God the Father without ever worshiping him myself. And this goes for all of us. There's some of us who may be faithful church attenders for all of our lives. We're involved not just on a Sunday, but in a community group. Perhaps we even do ministry within the church and we're involved in building up the church or reaching out to the community and Jesus challenges us. Is that enough? No. Because the question will stand. Jesus will ask, did you really know me and love me? So I invite you to ask yourself that question. Do I really know and love Jesus? Do I have a relationship with him?
the point of Jesus coming to live life on the earth, to die on the cross, to rise from the de- dead, is, was not to come and be a profound teacher. It wasn't for us to view him as a great person who has advice. It wasn't even to just show us how amazing he was, though he is all of those things. The point of Jesus coming to earth was that we could be reconciled into relationship with the God who created us and loves us. God longs for us not just to serve him, but to experience him, to worship him, to spend time in relationship with him. And the truth about every relationship is that it's not about performance. It's not about knowing the right things about a person or talking about a relationship with that person, but it's about genuinely having a relationship. Those other things we do are the things that flow from that relationship, but they aren't what makes the relationship. Jesus came to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he wants us to be with him. We can have all the information in the world about who Jesus was as a historical figure. We can think about and pontificate about his teachings and and talk about why they were good or, or why they were challenging. But unless we wrestle with him and getting to know him as an individual, we will never truly have what God wants for us. Now I know this verse can be challenging. As people look at verses 21 to 23, they can say, but if in this text it says that people will will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, and and he will turn to them and say, I never knew you. Well, well, how do I know that I'm not going to be one of those people who one day shows up in front of him and says, but didn't I do all these things? How do we know that we will be accepted by Jesus. One of the best places I can think to come to is 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 to 12. This was written by one of Jesus' closest friends, John, who writes, Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts his testimony. Whoever does not believe in God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And so this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life And this life is found in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Are you in relationship with God? We enter into that relationship by God's grace through faith. We come to this place where we recognize our position in contrast to him, which is that we're at a distance from God because he is holy and we're not. We're sinful people who go against the way of God and so we are desperately in need of a savior because we have this penalty that we deserve. We deserve the condemnation of of death and rejection by by Jesus. But but the good news, the the testimony that it tells us here is that, that Jesus is alive, that he came to live and die and rise again so that he could die in our place, so that he could open up the avenue, the gate for us to come into relationship with him. 
Scripture tells us that if we confess our sin, if we acknowledge where we've gone wrong and, and ask God for forgiveness, that he will be faithful to forgive us, that he will invite us into a new life with him. Do you want to know if you're in relationship with him? Well, do you spend time with him? Do you seek to follow him? Do you te- seek to obey the teaching that he's given us in his word? You see, doing this stuff, performing the miracles that these people talked about, or us living out the the Christian life, isn't what brings us eternal life. It's the relationship, the life that's lived just flows out of that. The things we do don't earn us salvation. They're our response to God. They're the way we love him and serve him and worship him because of who he is and what he saved us from. Jesus did what none of us could do ourselves. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived. He died the death that we were condemned to die. And so salvation is the gift that's freely given because it was earned by Jesus. But we know we have it when we cling hold to the fact that he has done it. When we acknowledge that he has done it. And then when we live in response of obedience to living what he teaches us to do next. That's how we know. That's how we have security. We have security by being in relationship with the king of the kingdom of heaven and living out the life that he tells us are for his citizens to live. And the good news is that's not just good news for him, but it's good news for us as well. And this is that, that next piece of warning he gives to us in verse 24 to 27, where he says this, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. But there's this haunting warning. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, the winds crashed and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus, again, is straight to the point. He says there's two ways to live in response to all of this. There's two ways to live in response to my teaching. There's two ways to live in response uh, as a relationship with me, and that's that you can either be wise or you can be foolish. And he tells us about the implications of that by giving us this parable, this, this, this story that we can see the truth illustrated in. And he talks about the wise builder and the foolish builder. Now the context to understand this is to understand the, the geography and the geology of where Jesus is teaching. He's in ancient Israel near the Sea of Galilee. And where he's teaching, the earth is made up of this sandy, silty mixture that, that some would call alluvial sand, which is the sand and, and clay and silt that's mixed together by the, the flowing of water and it's left and deposited on, on the seashore and by the River Jordan. And, and as you look at the ge- geography of the land, it all seems quite stable, especially in the summer. These sand and clay and silt formations end up hardening in the summer and it creates quite this hard ground. 
And so a builder who went to build might look around and say, hey, this is all stable. But someone who's wise and knowing and planning would know that if they were a builder coming to build a house, they wouldn't just consider the best weather, but they would consider the worst weather. Someone who understands the landscape in which Jesus was teaching would understand that when winter came, the rain came. And as that rain came down, there would be these torrential storms. And for instance, the, the, the Jordan River would overflow regularly and its, its different uh, outlets would, would overflow. And as that water rushed along this apparent hard soil, what would happen is the landscape would actually change. Things would begin to shift. And if you built a, a house right on the top of all this, what could happen is it could be swept away. And Jesus says, so it's only a foolish builder who plans with what's right now in the summer weather in mind, but it's the person who thinks down the road and about that water who thinks wisely. And what we know about the geology of that region is that underneath all of this sandy, silty soil is this basalt bedrock. There's this firm foundation that lies beneath if only you're willing to dig down to it. If a builder is wise, they'll go through the hard work of digging out all of this sand, which, which appears good at first but ends up just washing away. And when they establish the connection of their foundation of their home to that bedrock, they build a house which will not move even in the fiercest of storms. Jesus says this is a big deal. And for Jesus' hearers, they don't just hear what he's talking about as something for themselves, but something that's much bigger than just the place in which they live. In ancient Israelite culture, your home wasn't just the place you live, but it was your inheritance. You would receive it from your parents. But it wasn't just your inheritance, it was your children's inheritance because they lived with this structure where you'd pass on your, your home and your land to the future generations. And so if your home was to get wiped out, you lost your inheritance and you lost what you would pass on to your children. But not only do you lose money that way, but you lose your livelihood to live because they live in this agrarian culture where it's all driven by agriculture. And so your home was your business, your land was your business because this is where you grew things and harvested things and had animals. And, and so to lose the, all of that with the shifting sands would simply be the most foolish thing you could do, not just for yourself, but for your family and for future generations. As Jesus' listeners, we ought to hear this cautionary tale. What am I going to do with the information that is out there and the information Jesus provides? Jesus is telling us that as we look out to the world, what we might see seems solid, but it will wash away. But what he teaches is the firm bedrock that we can stake our claim on. Jesus says the teaching that you just heard, it's not meant to be just talked about. It's not just meant to be praised for wisdom. It's meant to be practiced and lived out. It's meant to be where you connect with me. 
All the information in the world will never provide us stability. All the information we receive will never necessarily equate to life transformation. It's only when we act on the right information that our lives can be changed for the better. It's only when we act on the right information that we are seated on a foundation of truth and stability. This doesn't mean ignore everything you'll ever hear. It doesn't mean don't be wise and learn about what happens in our world, but it means to consider first and foremost all teaching in light of what Jesus taught. Jesus says, I want you to connect with me as the rock, that you start with that relationship and then you build everything else up and out. And so the question that we need to answer as people here today, especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus, is as you're in the midst of all the uh, information and influence of what's going on in your life around you, where are you standing? Are you finding yourself shifting in the sand or do you find yourself solidly standing on the rock? Jesus has warned us continually as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount to to beware of false teaching, to beware of the easy path, to beware of building our house on something that will shift, lest everything in life come tumbling down. But we remember, too, that this isn't just a cautionary tale, that it isn't just a warning that we must heed, but that Jesus also provides us a gracious invitation into a better life for us and for the world. He invites us to not just experience heaven one day after we die, but to experience the God of the heavens today. To be a part of bringing heaven down to earth so that we will see more of his kingdom come. So we'll see more of his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're invited by Jesus to a better life if only we will take who he is and what he teaches as more than just information. But as a relationship and a foundation for our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we consider today what you have taught us. And and Lord, even if we can't remember everything in this moment that you taught through the Sermon on the Mount, we, we face this reality that you are the God in heaven, that you are the king on the throne. And God, that you invite us into relationship with you and that we have opportunity to come to you and know you where we have the opportunity to reject you. God, I pray today that those who have been seeking an answer to where they should go with all the information they receive in life, Lord God, would they hear your voice clearly? Would they understand what it says in in your word? And would that penetrate into their hearts? And would that change their lives? God, if there's anyone here who needs to receive your goodness today, God, would they freely just call out to you, recognizing that you have made a way for them to have eternal life, a life of great relationship with you. Lord, for the rest of us, as we consider how we live out of that, 
How do we continue to live this Christian life in an age of so much information and so much challenge, Lord God? Would we be able to look to you first as our foundation and would we sort everything else from there? Would we prioritize the things that you call us to do and would everything else just fall in line? God, I pray that you would be glorified by the way that we live our lives. Lord God, would we live as people who don't just hear you and learn about you on a Sunday, but people who live like you and are changed by you each and every day. Lord God, as we move from this place of studying the Sermon on the Mount over these last number of weeks to what we will begin studying next week, God, I pray that we won't lose sight of the truths that you have begin, begun to, to plant in our heart. And Lord God, will we continue to, to study your word and engage with this teaching so that it would would flourish and would it grow into exactly what you want it to be. A life that's situated on you as our rock that serves as a, a signal for others to come to know you and God through all of that would you be worshipped and praised. God would you receive all the glory. God we thank you for who you are and what only you can accomplish. As we go this week would you br we bring you the glory that only you deserve. And we pray for this to be accomplished by the power of your spirit in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.